Good morning. Good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast. I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. This morning, we need to face reality. Let's face the reality that there is a tremendous amount of evil in this world. And it seems to genuinely have a lot of power over the vulnerable. There's human trafficking that takes advantage of the desperate to enslave or to demean them. There's political corruption which overrules any attempt to limit it or enforce justice. There's racial hatred, ethnic genocide, and on and on. If you have been blessed not to have personally experienced those kinds of evils yourself, let me assure you that there are plenty of other forms of powerful evil. Maybe it's an abuser from your past who still wields power over you through fear or trauma. Maybe it's an employer who takes advantage of your labor demanding more and more and more from you. Friends, there are countless ways in which it can seem like wickedness prospers over the livelihood of the weak. That's the reality of the world that we live in. But friends, this morning, through the book of Nahum, we will see that Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, promises you that behind that reality is another deeper reality. The reality that the wicked are helpless before God. All of that wickedness and evil, although seemingly mighty, will fall. And there is no power on earth or above it or below it that can resist the vengeance of God on behalf of his people. This morning we're reading from Nahum chapter 2 verses 3 through 10 which is on page 734 if you took one of the Bibles from the church lobby. And we will see this morning that the wicked are helpless before God. Why? Because though the wicked appear mighty, before God, they are confused and vulnerable. Their loss is inexorable. And so we must fear God. Let's read our passage this morning. Nahum chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. The shield of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day he musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets... They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches. They dart like lightning. He remembers his officers. They stumble as they go. They hasten to the wall. The siege tower is set up. 
the river gates are opened. The palace melts away. Its mistress is stripped. She is carried off. Her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or of the wealth of all precious things. Desolate. Desolation and ruin. Hearts melt and knees tremble. Anguish is in all loins. All faces grow pale. Friends, to understand that the wicked are helpless before God, the first thing we must grapple with is the apparent might of the wicked. Remember that last week's passage, Nahum chapter 2 verse 2, concluded with God somewhat tauntingly suggesting that the city of Nineveh, that's the capital city of the empire of Assyria, who were enemies of God, God tauntingly suggests that they prepare for battle, that they man the gates and the walls because his vengeance was coming. And it seems that they have taken that warning to heart. And, and frankly, it's terrifying. In verse 3, we see that not just their swords, but even the shields of the warriors have been spattered with blood. Their clothes are scarlet, so that even if they were to be wounded, the blood is hidden, making them appear invulnerable and beyond harm. Their chariot, chariots, which by the way were already the peak of military technology, have had metal blades affixed to the hubcaps so that as they go flashing by, they can cut you off at the knees. And each man stands along the ramparts with long spears bristling downward, looking like a forest. Friends, altogether, verse 3 seems to present to us an overwhelming force of might. And for a people like Israel, who were oppressed by this vastly superior power like the Assyrian Empire, this image that is presented to us appears unbeatable. And it really is. There is no might to rival them. They have tremendous power. And as frightening as it is, Assyria is not the only wickedness that oppresses the weak. I know that there are those of you here who have felt the hopelessness of living under a system of political corruption. One where you have no power. 
There is simply no one that you can turn to and appeal to for justice. Your property can be taken. Your family can be uprooted. Your money can be demanded. And you are simply powerless. I know that there are those of you here who have experienced this. I know that there are those of you here who have suffered abuse. Physical and mental. Your abuser has made you feel weak and alone. Isolated from anyone who might help you. They've employed greater physical strength. Or they've employed cruel words to come and cut you off at the knees. And even if you have escaped living directly under their power, the memory of them still haunts you. They still have power over you. And you're not sure if you can do anything to change it. This wickedness appears so strong. And in fact, they are so strong. That is the reality of this world. But that is not the only reality. Nahum wants to show you that the wicked are helpless before God. Before God, they are confused and vulnerable. Before God, all of that might is useless. Remember those scary chariots from verse 3? In verse 4, we learn that they are inside the city where they can't even get out to fight. They're charging aimlessly, directionless through the streets of the city. Powerless. Remember the blood-soaked army from verse 3? In verse 5, we learn... That they don't even have leaders. Why? Because their leaders are stumbling over their own feet. Trying to put on armor. Running to the walls. To catch up. Remember that wall bristling with spears from verse 3? In verse 6 we learn that the siege tower has been set up. But friends... It's not even needed because the river gate, the back door, is already left open. Look at the utter disarray and confusion and that this, this once seemingly mighty host has been thrown into. The mighty oppressor who preyed on the weak has become utterly lost and confused. 
all of that strength counts for nothing before God. And it all concludes in verse 7, where the final stronghold in the event of an attack, the palace, has already been breached. And the mistress captured and shamed and carried away. Friends, the poetry of these verses screams vulnerability. Why? Because it is that very vulnerability that the oppressor has exploited with their apparent might. But now, before the almighty God, they reap what they've sown. They have been vulnerable the entire time and they just hadn't realized it. And now that they have treated the vulnerable in such a terrible way, that is how they will be treated themselves. How does this apply today? Please, friends, Focus not on the seeming might of the wicked, but on the real might of God. Yes, injustice often rules. Yes, the strong often prey on the weak. Yes, disease and trauma and corruption may mar your life. All of that might simply melts away before the power of our God. Friends, his might is not measured in horses or chariots, in armies or in megatons. His power, friends, is measured in the stars. In suns which he spoke into being. Friends, his power is infinite. So what is even the mightiest oppressor before him? Nothing but even more confused and vulnerable than any of their own victims. So yes, there are countless ways in which the might of the wicked prospers over the livelihood of the weak. But you must remember that the wicked are helpless before God. So why then, you may ask, does God yet allow wickedness To continue at all. Why doesn't he simply eradicate those who are so helpless before him? Friends, the answer is, he has already begun to do so. 
The wicked have already begun to lose everything. And like Nineveh, by the time they realize it, it will be too late. Because the fall of the wicked is inexorable. It is unstoppable. It is unavoidable. And it is absolute. I absolutely love the imagery in verse 8. It evokes a man on his knees desperately grasping and cupping water in his hands, trying to hold on to it as it rushes away from him. And the tighter he holds it, the faster he loses it. No, stop, come back, please, no. And it's gone. Or it's like the tree that we had cut down in our backyard about a year ago. Once the cut was made at the top of the tree, ever so slowly, it began to creak over until it reached the tipping point. And then... There was nothing that could stop it from plummeting to the ground. Not the branches of the tree that were below it. Not the other small trees that were all around it. It came down. And you could feel the reverberations of the impact in the ground. As it smashed through everything. Friends, that is the reality of what has already begun to happen to every wicked oppressor. Everything that they have plundered will in turn be plundered from them. Verse 9 is a poetic callback to an earlier passage in Nahum which said that Israel had been plundered by the kingdom of Assyria. And all of that silver and gold had made its way to the capital city, Nineveh. Where it does Assyria absolutely no good whatsoever. The silver and the gold that had been stripped from the temple of the living God will not benefit those who stole it. And it will in turn be taken from them. In fact, the poetry of these verses is almost enough to make you pity Nineveh, isn't it? Before the vengeance of God, they are helpless. They are confused. They are vulnerable. They are defenseless. And they realize it too late. And so desperate for more time. Grasping for some way. They fight against that inexorable loss of everything that they love. 
The wicked are helpless before God. And yet, I don't think that the author intends for his audience to pity Nineveh, but rather to fear God. Look at Nahum's conclusion in verse 10. Desolate. Desolation and ruin. The wrath of God against the wicked, which started so achingly slowly, ends only one way. In desolation and ruin and fear. And who is it who is afraid? Nineveh? Assyria? Look at verse 10. Anguish is in all loins. All faces grow pale. Friends, when you and I grasp the reality that the wicked face only desolation, then we can cease fearing the might of the wicked and we can rightly fear the righteousness of God. What hope is there for anyone to stand against this kind of wrath? Not just Nineveh, but anyone. How can we know that we are truly safe and secure? After all, Nineveh thought that their might was sufficient until it was too late. In the same way, the insufficiency of our hope will be revealed when God brings his might to bear. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, one of the followers of Jesus Christ warns, You yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, There is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But he continues in verses 9 through 10. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him. That must be our hope, friends. That we can obtain salvation 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Through Jesus, we become not the objects of God's wrath, but its beneficiaries. I'll say it again. Through Jesus, we become not the object of God's wrath, but its beneficiaries. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That the fear of the Lord can drive us not away from Him, but towards Him, into His protection. And that the blood of Jesus makes it possible for us to receive that protection. Which means that we become not those who depend on our own might to defend us, on our own righteousness to defend us, but that we call out to God the Father who has already saved us from the hand of evil. So fear the Lord this morning. Fear the Lord. Recognize that His might is so far beyond any other power. And take comfort from that fear. If you serve Jesus this morning, then there is no power on heaven or on the earth or under the earth that can overcome you. Yes, you may face the oppressive might of the wicked, of sin and death. But that power has already been overthrown on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the fall of the wicked friends has already begun. And it is inexorable. The wicked are helpless before God. So perceive the inexorable desolation that the wicked are destined for. And believe what God has promised. That he will complete what he has begun. And only then can you be free from the fear of them. Because the might of the one who has made you his child is so much greater. And if you have not yet run to Jesus for your protection, then fear the Lord. God has and will move heaven and earth to save his people from the oppression of the wicked. But if you do not run to him for that salvation, then you will not be saved. You will always be under the might 
and the oppression of the wicked. And worse, the wrath of God will not be applied for your salvation, but for your judgment. But know, friends, that the blood of Jesus has already overcome every other power. The power of the wicked and even the power of your sin. If you will but run to him. So please, don't wait until it is too late to realize that Jesus is your hope of salvation from such a terrible wrath. Because the wicked are helpless before God. Though the wicked appear mighty, before God they are confused and vulnerable. Their loss is inexorable. So fear God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise your name. We come to you, Father. We thank you that you have sent Jesus to be our salvation. That we don't have to try to grasp with futile hands the things of this world, the false hopes and the power that we cling to. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that the blood that you sent has been shed, that we may take it on and with it the new name of your beloved. Father God, this week, may we fear you in ways that we haven't before. May we see your might. May we get a glimpse of the ruin of the wicked. And, and through that, may we have faith in your work to bring all wickedness to an end. God, may we not be tricked or, or made to lose hope in you when we see the wicked prosper. God, you are Lord. You are mighty. You cannot be resisted, God. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.